We're going to go right into the Word. The text is James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I want to just show you a pattern out of these verses that I think applies to every other area of life. I think that as we go to the Word, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit is going to shine on this and bring illumination to you because He is the teacher. It's my commitment as a pastor to lead the flock, tend the sheep, and download biblical sound doctrine, not to tickle your ears, but to strengthen and empower you to make the vital steps necessary to mature and take hold of all that God has for you. Jesus went to the trouble of dying for us to give us victory, and He is pleased when we walk in His Word and when we walk in the promises and we see the blessings of God manifest in our lives. I mean, the desires I have for my four kids are that they succeed and that they have victory, that they get accomplishments and that they bear fruit. And I'm an earthly father. The Bible says you earthly parents, and you're evil, you're lost, you're fallen, the world's fallen, and you know how to give what's good to your children. How much more shall the Heavenly Father give what is good to His children or to those who ask? So God wants to pour out some blessing in here. And in James chapter 1, it says that if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. See, now here comes the secret. He must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." So now we see five issues here in these verses on how we're going to receive from God for ourselves. We have to understand here that, number one, ask of God. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I suppose the first step is the need. And I think that the first acknowledgement of every area of any victory is admitting where we have a problem or where we have an issue. I think God's called us to be realistic and be honest, but not just to stop there. We don't just say, oh, I lack something, or I have a need, or there's a problem here, or there's an issue here. We don't just stop there and wallow in it. If anyone lacks wisdom, now you might stop with this and say wisdom, it's just about wisdom in this verse. Well, in verse 7, it says, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So anything includes all things. So this area of the scriptures is not just talking about wisdom, it's talking, in fact, about receiving anything from the Lord. And then it goes into verse 6, and it says, first of all, we ask of God. Jesus said, ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. Do you guys notice that when a prayer is answered, when a breakthrough occurs, there's so much joy? <laughs> Jesus said, until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, look at this, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Look at the power and the simplicity of the words of Jesus. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, there is joy in answered prayer. And these verses tell us something of a pattern on how we can receive from the Lord the same way the people in the Bible receive from the Lord. First of all, ask of God. Now, this is amazing because I've noticed in my Christian life, when I've become depleted, I don't even want to ask. I've noticed this, and I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, 
But there are actually times in my life where I just knew that I needed to pray. I knew I needed to stand on the word of God. But circumstances and the weights and pressures of life, worries and cares and anxieties, just filled my heart, flooded me, and I just sat there flat. And he says, you have not because you ask not. So there's something powerful about asking of God. And then it says, or you ask amiss. So we need to ask biblically. We need to not be selfish. We need to ask scripturally. We'll get on that in a minute. But it says, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. I mean, you have to understand that. It says later on in the verse here, in verse 17, if you just look down the verse here in James 1, it says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Well, where did Jesus come from? He came from above. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? He came from above. What did Jesus bring? He brought salvation. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to set captives free. Freedom came from above. It's a good and perfect gift. And where do we pray? We pray to the Father above. What does He do? He answers. He hears from heaven. He, his ear is inclined to the prayer of the upright. Well, it says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. So here we see God's not hesitant or reluctant or tricking, like shifty with variables. His word is true to everybody for all generations. And then it also says here, if you ask of God, he gives to all men generously and without reproach. He's not going to scold you for requesting. He's pleased. He's okay with us following the systems of the word and asking him. The woman with the hemorrhage in the book of Mark, she said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. The Syrophoenician woman that had the daughter that was plagued by demons. She said, Jesus, I, my daughter needs help. And they pressed in and they, they asked and they received and they believed. The number two point is similar to number one. It says that we are to ask in faith. He said, you must ask in faith. That must imply that there are other ways we can ask. We can ask with questions or doubt or double-mindedness. And so the Word of God here is saying, if you want to receive something from God, you've got to, and you want to have biblical results, you've got to follow these biblical requirements. And it says, ask in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So with it, God's pleased when we have this childlike, tenacious confidence in the faithfulness of our God. Our salvation began with this, where it wasn't just we believed in Him, it wasn't just that we obtained information, it was we trusted that He was faithful. It's not just hearing information and, and acknowledging, oh, there is a God and he's good and so forth. It's, and I trust you that what you've done on the cross pertains to me and that you are the one who shed his blood to wash me from my guilt and my sin and the contemptible place of my fallen nature and that you actually impart a new life. And not only do I believe you do that, I trust you for it. Yeah. And that's asking in faith. I know you're not going to reproach me for asking, and I know that you're, there's no variation or shifting shadow. That God that causes some of these revivals in the world and great breakthrough in nations, hey, he's a God in Chesterfield, Missouri right now. And so when I read these verses, it's not some sort of vague Jesus the Lord's brother or the early church model or written to the Jews. It said this was written to those 12 tribes dispersed abroad. But it's also including for us. It's all inspired by God and it's profitable so that we would be trained by God. Okay, so this verse pertains to us. And he said, ask of God. James 4.2 He's talking in this context. What, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? He's talking to the church and he's talking about things to avoid. 
He said, is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. So see, he's talking about this inferior fleshly way of life and things to avoid. And then he gets down and the, he nails it in the end of the, verse 2. He says, really, listen, get back to the simple ask and believe and receive. Look at John chapter 16, verse 24 again. It says, ask, he says, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Listen, if you get nothing else tonight, get that layout. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We've got to look at Mark chapter 11. Let's go to Mark chapter 11 because this verse has brought just so much encouragement to so many people. Mark chapter 11. Let me show you something that I think will help you. Those of you that want to receive from God, but then you get out of your prayer environment and the realities of life, the pains, the voices of unbelief and fear and doubt and so forth start to ravage you. You have something to fall back on right in this verse right here. He says, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Look at what it says in verse 24. It says, therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. And this is something. You have not because you ask not. Don't let this word stop coming out of your mouth. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants the word. The word is near you, in your heart and in your mouth. That's the word of faith which we preach. We believe Therefore, we speak. There's something powerful in our processes of prayer where we ask, we believe, we receive, we speak these things out of our mouths in confidence toward God, and it does something amazing in our situation. When people ridicule this teaching, they don't have a full understanding of the emphatic nature of these things from the beginning where God said let there be light all the way to Romans chapter 10 verse 9 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him you shall be saved for with the mouth man confesses and the result is salvation with the heart man believes and the result is righteousness there are results we're talking about receiving from God and getting results if anyone asks let him ask in faith without doubting a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Well, I don't like that. That's negative. I like to see that verse in the positive. Well, then a single-minded man or woman who is asking in faith and standing on the promises of God and trusting God can expect to receive from the Lord. Absolutely. Listen, there's nothing wrong with ratcheting up our expectations. A lot of us want to manage our expectations. We've gone through a disappointment or two. We've gone through some hurts or some issues and, and losses and, and it, we've let those things govern our theology and govern our way of thinking and we've got to get back you see Abraham contemplated his body he looked at the circumstances of his life and yet he said with respect to the promise of God he did not waver in unbelief he grew strong in faith he honored God with it and he obtained right yeah. ask of God dust off your prayer life and start taking some things before the Lord I know there are prayers where I prayed and I obtained. Yeah. Then I know there were prayer times where I meandered around in my doubt, my worries, and my upsets, and I just kind of just walked around in a circle spiritually. Yeah. So I want to see the elimination of doubt, the increase of confidence in our heart to trust. He is trustworthy. Can you get a hold of that, that God's trustworthy? Yeah. And that we could trust him. There really is something to be said about drawing near to God with trust. Not just with information. 
Not just with some sort of, man, I hope this works for me, but an actual trust that, hey, God loves me, God loves you as much as he loves that man, as much as he loves those people in the Bible. His love is absolutely abundant. His mercy endures forever. He's rich in mercy and healing and salvation and the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power of God and the operation of the gifts of the Spirit of God and deliverance from oppression, authority over demons, all come from and originate from the mercy of God. Yeah. And he's rich in mercy. You and I can tap into that mercy. In fact, here's what I like about this verse. You can crawl into your prayer environment, spend some time in fellowship with God, get in this beautiful book, the Word of God, and let the washing of the water of the Word push away all the unbelief, all the fear, all the doubting, and get you in a place where your strength is built up to the point where you say, God, you're so good, and I've even found out that you love me, and I trust you. That it's not just for that person there or this elite few over there or these people that have the formula all figured out. It's not about formula. It's about your character. It's about your personality. It's about your love. It's about your interest in making sure we, that you pour out your blessing. You get a kick out of blessing your people. Yeah. And I have that secure in me. Okay, God, I believe I receive right now when I pray. So then you walk out of your prayer environment and the circumstances of life inevitably slam into your face and challenge you. But you say, wait a minute. When I prayed, I believed I received. There are mysteries to these things that I'm not going to pretend to have all figured out. But I do know this. Ask of God. Number two, ask in faith. When the offering bucket comes around, I give in faith. I have confidence. God, take hold of this offering. I'm going to sow it into the work of the kingdom. I'm going to be a giver, and I'm going to believe God for breakthrough and finance. I'm going to believe God. It's going to cause the plan of God to come to pass at my church, the will of God to come to pass in my generation. And oh, by the way, God, I know it pleases you and honors you that I'm, I get to express myself in this area of worship, and I do it in faith. When we pray for one another, we shouldn't just rush into things. When we pray... We've got to get in there and really make sure things are biblical. Make sure we locate where the people are. We find out what's going on. We don't just do a little rush job and pray courtesy prayers. We're praying effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayers. Right? And you say, well, yeah, I, but, ha, ha. well, asking in faith is simple. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith is built and released when the will of God is known. Faith is imparted when the will of God is known. When I found out the will of God was for Jesus to die and save me from my sin, and the revelation of that came through the quoting of Scripture from a person that proclaimed it to me, how will they believe if they've never heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? See, this guy shared a Scripture with me, and it, it was like seed that was sown into my heart, and it created a crop. It produced a, first the, something stirred in me and then it popped up and the revelation of God's word came to me and I got a light blast from heaven. It wasn't so feeling-ish. It wasn't so cerebral as much as it was, and nor was it even that emotional, but it was a spiritual revelation. And that revelation came and boom. And this is the same thing with this. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. We know something about God's wisdom. God is profoundly wise. In fact, he personifies wisdom. In Proverbs 8, he talks about the wisdom that was around and with God at the creation of the world. 
Wisdom is the principal thing. Jesus has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So in any and every area, when we lack wisdom, we can ask of God. But it also says that we're to be single-minded. It says, otherwise, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So the antithesis of this would be that we, as single-minded people that are praying in faith, and we're, we're really dealing with doubt, and we're getting in a place where we're saying, God, I trust you. And that's not working up, okay, I believe you now. I believe you now. No, it's, God, you're good. You're real good. Real good. You're faithful. You're real faithful. You're mighty. Ultra mighty. You get all caught up in how great God is, it's going to burn up your unbelief and my doubt. You just spend a little bit of time fellowshipping with the creator of the universe. And you press past all the doubts and fears and all the alternate voices and you spend some time in that rarefied presence of God. There's fullness of joy there. It'll blast through our depression. It'll break through the discouragement that tries to come on us. It'll bring in clarity about the, the purposes and the plans of God. Let's get back to this. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. All would include everybody and exclude no one. You might be an eight-year-old kid in here. You could start crying out to God for wisdom. Psalm 119 said, I have learned beyond my teachers because I love your word. That's not an arrogant thing, like I'm smarter than my teachers. It just means I'm getting a hold of this. I'm growing. I'm increasing. Ask of God. And what else do you do? Number two, ask in faith. And then here's number three, zero doubt. Doubt is an enemy. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. It's talking about Abraham, our father in faith. God is so good. Like Lester Summerall said, let's feed our faith and starve our doubts to death. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 4. God told Abraham years and years before, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. In fact, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And he gave him a promise. And he said, even though you're past the age of fertility and childbearing, you and your wife, you're going to have the baby. So you're going to be a son of a promise. And he's going to precipitate something that's going to go around the world. God promised him something. And then it said, father of many nations, have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed? Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. See, he believed so that he might become. That's a little revelation there. In verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, which is something that can happen to all of us, he contemplated, now my Bible says he contemplated his own body. King James said he contemplated not his own body, but the word not is not really there in the Greek. So I actually think this is more realistic. I think Abraham looked in the mirror, looked at Sarah, they looked at each other, and they realized, wow, this is not going to happen by human power. That makes better sense to me in the context. He contemplated his own body. You ever contemplate your own body? But he contemplated also the promises of God. The hopelessness of his circumstance collided with the hopefulness of God's promises. So he said, 
without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Did you notice, without becoming weak in faith, he grew strong in faith? Which one you want? This is a faith builder. Faith comes by hearing the word. The word of God is alive. It has a life of its own. It has life imparting capabilities. In fact, we're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. I'm a Christian because I heard the message of Jesus and I acted upon it by trusting in Christ for salvation. I believed in him. Honestly, all my life I believed there was a God and I believed Jesus was who he said he was. He walked on water. Sure, I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he performed miracles. I heard about it when I went and visited churches. But there was a point when I trusted him and that was asking in faith. And he so stirred my heart and revealed himself to me in such a way that I found him just so wonderful and I realized he was the way, the truth, and the life and that I could actually go to the Father through him and even with my sin and my guilt and my fallen nature and going to hell that Jesus actually came to rescue me from hell. But then I found out after that that he wanted to fill me with his Holy Spirit and give me power to be a witness with signs following that he actually had called me into a life of prayer where I could believe and receive that my joy would be full and other people's joy would be full and that I actually could go to the Word of God and find out real answers to real problems in life. And it's just an absolute wonder. See, here's what happened to Abraham. With respect to the promise of God, what was the promise of God? He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. That took many years from the beginning of the promise to the fulfillment of the promise. Well, same thing with King David. Samuel anointed him with oil, but it took years before he stepped into the realization of being the king. We don't always like processes, but they happen. And I also like the things that are instant as well. So God is just awesome. You can experience salvation the moment you trust Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord. But then you spend a lifetime growing in sanctification, growing in holiness, growing in the word of God, right? So we don't have to wonder and agonize through 10 or 15 years of the beginnings of our Christian life, wondering if we're saved. We can know and have a security about it. But it's not like I'm just going to cash in at the altar and then I'm going to get out of here and go live like the devil. That is not, that would probably qualify as not being salvation. That would be some sort of fake, superficial thing. We're not doing any of that. We're, we're going to really repent. We're going to really change. We're going to really trust God. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask in faith. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. See, he looked at his body and it, oh, that's what I think is realistic here. I, I, I think he looked at his body and went, whoa. And his wife went, whoa. And she looked at his body and went, whoa. And, she looked, and he looked at hers and went, you look beautiful in that. <laughs> but anyway, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know what gives glory to God? What gives glory to God is when we ask in faith and we don't waver in unbelief. God is pleased when we trust Him. Yeah. Just like every relationship here is blessed by trust. Yeah. It, that's a feel-good of life. People have entrusted me. I mean, our stewardship is all based on trust, and our relationship with God is based on trust, and He is trustworthy. Yeah. That's why we can ask in faith, because faith is rooted in His trustworthiness. And when we read the Bible, we go, wow, He is trustworthy. He's powerful. 
He's a healer. He's a savior. I could trust him for that. He answers prayer. He gets a kick out of prayer. It's his system. He laid it out. He wants me to pray, and he doesn't want me just to pray. He wants us to pray in faith. Now, pray in faith doesn't mean, God, I just hairsprayed and gelled my hair. I've just pressed my shirt, and I'm going to pray like I ate nails for breakfast. It's not like that. It's not a bunch of human bravado. It's not a bunch of amplification. It's not, dear Heavenly Father, God. It's not like that. It's not like that. No affectation necessary. This is a thing of the heart. This comes out of here. This is like, God, you're good. I love you, man. I worship you, God. You're holy. And you are so great. And you delight in the prosperity of your people. You want to answer prayer. He says he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. See, he did not waver in unbelief. Where was that verse? He did not waver in unbelief. Verse 20. Wavering. Now let's go back to James. He said he did not waver. Everybody say waver. waver. Now, it says in James chapter 1, he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. See, we're not to be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth and love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him. Family church, listen. God is pleased when with respect to the promise of God, we don't grow weak in faith, but we grow strong in faith. Ever increasing confidence and trust in God. He loves that. He loves that. And it says, ask if you lack wisdom, or for that matter, anything, because it says in verse 7, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord if you're double-minded or wavering. So ask of God, ask in faith with zero doubt. Now what cancels out doubt? Abraham is looking at himself and contemplating his own body. That could produce doubt. Man, this is a drag. This is, this is my present circumstance. And it could become the loudest voice if he just, that was his primary meditation. But he went, well, wait a minute. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm old. I'm a dinosaur. So then he goes, yet with respect to the promise of God. God, all right. You're calling me to something that's way beyond. And that's what's wonderful about what we've inherited. Is it supernatural? God is supernatural. He is extraordinary. He is way out of the, he's coloring way out of the box. Look at some of the sunsets this next couple months here. Get outside and feel, just watch the trees turn colors. Watch the squirrels just go do some shopping and take on, you know, just the stuff that's going on. Just look around, man. Wake up and smell the coffee. Just savor it. Just look around and see how good God is. And just get in this beautiful book and open up its pages and just park in these areas and see to it that you, kind of, you look at it in context and you take this thing and see it for what it's really saying. It says, number one, ask of God. Number two, ask in faith. Number three, zero doubt. Number four, expect to receive. Expect to receive. The verse in Acts chapter 3 said, hey, we don't have any gold and silver on us, but what we have we give. Right before that, the guy was fixing his gaze on him, expecting to receive something from him. Jesus is looking for that throughout the church. Instead of this numbed over and I tried to ask for a while I'm just I, I just I want Jesus to come back I just want to I just want to go to heaven this is so overwhelming yeah well 
That's what Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he said, I'm, in a, I'm kind of torn between two. It's better for me to be here, but it'd be better to go be with the Lord, but it's more needful for me to be here. I'll just say this to you. Categorically, it's more needful for you to be here right now. So get out of this, I just can't wait to go to heaven. Listen, you're going to go to heaven. We're, everybody's dying. Except Enoch and Elijah. They just got raptured out of the picture. And there will be, well, I'm holding out for the rapture, and I rebuke that. I'm not going to die. Well, flesh dies, okay? But we're going to live out our days. And we're going to live with faith, and, and we're going to crucify doubt. Is it okay if I talk about this? Because this subject has been very ridiculed and very misunderstood. But it is thoroughly biblical. This isn't manipulating God. This isn't some sort of a thing where we come snapping our finger, telling God what, you know, demanding all this stuff like some sort of self-centered, narcissistic, greedy thing. No. In fact, those are improper approaches. We, go, we draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, but also with a humility. We humble ourselves. We don't just presuppose we've got it all figured out. We make sure it's biblical. We make sure we're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our interpretation of the biblical thing. The other day after a service, I prayed sort of a quick, what I thought would be a good thing to pray for a situation. And I set myself up to fail because, in fact, as I was praying, I was grading. I had a grading in my spirit. I should have paused and I should have prayed in the spirit about it. I should have just waited on the Lord and just not gone beyond what the Lord was leading me in prayer. But I did that. I got out ahead and I, I asked amiss. I asked uh, just sort of, I guess I got into sort of a formal, dutiful kind of a prayer. That's not effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer. And I only tell on myself because I, I hope that helps you to understand that our prayer life is designed by God to be effective. The effective, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man avails much, can accomplish much, makes power available, dynamic in its working, one translation says. And we hear about Elijah, and he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And we go, oh, man, Elijah was a superhero. No, the Bible says Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, yet he prayed. Okay, so it demystified it. He was not a superhero, but he had a super God, and he was being led by God to stand on certain things in his particular time. Abraham was called by God to be a father of many nations. We are in this book right here. If we lack wisdom, which we oftentimes do, we can draw near to God and ask him and trust him and invite him into every area of our child rearing, of our business decisions, of our finances, of our travel plans. I mean, even simple things of relationships, of, of which aren't so simple. And we can say, God, I need wisdom. I need insight. I need the mind of God here. And I know the Holy Spirit is present and I trust you, God. I know you're going to lead me. I know you're faithful. I'm going to ask you, but I'm not just going to ask you. I'm going to ask in faith. I'm not just going to ask in faith. I'm going to have zero doubt on this thing. In fact, if I have to pace and pray for a while just to settle my heart and let the waves of the washing of the water of the word push out all the doubt, all the carnality, all the superficiality of it and get me to a place where I'm sensitized to you, then that's what I'll do. If it takes some time, then I'm okay with that because I desire to live a life that receives from God. Expect to receive. Believe you receive. When you pray, you believe you receive. I got with Pastor John today. I said, hey, let's pray a little while. So we paced and prayed. We prayed in faith. We trusted God. We cried out to the Lord. We didn't just do this. Dear Heavenly Father, we prayed. Okay, we're done. No, we're communing with God about matters of the heart. 
about things that pertain to you, about futuristic things that we don't even know about, things that God's given us an impression on. In fact, we got in the car and we drove up to the little house up there on Wild Horse Creek Road where 29 years ago, there's, around this time, John Moore and I were standing on the front porch and I said, the Lord spoke to me last night to have a home base to reach the nations of the world from this place. And I, he said, I pointed right down here. So we stood there in the yard and he remembered exactly where it was and we just kind of walked around and it was empty and it was for rent so we weren't <laughs> trespassing. And I remembered the porch. I stood on the porch and when I stood and I looked in the window in the living room, it was all empty, no furniture. I looked in the living room and I remembered a prayer meeting we had on a New Year's Eve. We prayed into late at night right in that room. Then I went around the back and I looked in the kitchen and I remember I got off work and I went into the house and I had a bowl of Wheaties. And I remember on the back of it, it had Bruce Jenner. That tells you how long ago it was. And he was running for, an, and it said he worked out eight hours a day. And it was for a natural wreath. It was for a gold medal. He won, the, I think, the decathlon or whatever. And he had him running like that and, and uh, with his hair and everything. He still looks the same. 70s hair, and, like me. And, uh, and I got the revelation that he's doing this for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable and then I thought about almost 29 years this month. God is bringing to pass exactly the things that he's calling it. It's, man, Abraham was called to be the father of many nations, but there took a little bit of time. It's so what do you do? The Bible says that the testing of your faith produces something called endurance. And it says to let endurance have its perfect result. Perfecting, maturing results come. Not through the high, easy times, but when we're going in through those challenging seasons and going through those issues and those times when there's no reinforcement for what you're believing God for. You guys, we don't like that because we are in a very self-indulgent world, but we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the, the renewing of our minds comes from plugging into the Word of God and actually accepting it as God's Word, inspired, powerful, active, alive, the confirmation, the clarification of his heart, desire, and dream for his people. Amen. And he does not reproach you when you ask him for wisdom. He likes it when you ask for You could never ask for too much. You could never be selfish or obsessed with wisdom. God is, he wants you to just get it in abundance. Yeah. Solomon had it on such a level that the Queen of Sheba traveled for a long period of time by caravan through desert sands to get to just hear words that came out of this man of God's mouth. And what Solomon did after David died is he said, God, I'm not after the gold or silver or the life of my enemies or that sort of thing. I just need wisdom and knowledge on how I could fulfill this responsibility because you were with my father. God said, because you didn't ask for the life of your enemies and all this, and you asked for wisdom and knowledge, I'm going to give you wisdom and knowledge, and I'm going to give you these other things too. He had a priority at that point. He, he shifted off the track down the road, which is also another story about warning about not shrinking back. We've got to stay with this thing to the end. You guys with me? Well, I have one more point. Here's what it is. Remain single-minded. Wavering is not cool. Verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It says that we're not to doubt. It says in verse 7, that man ought not that he will expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, I don't want to be that man. I want to be the man that receives from the Lord. I want the gap to close on this thing. Absolutely. 
So I already know I don't want to ask silly, superficial, formal prayers. I don't want to just pray. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to pray effectively. I want to obtain these promises so I see that I need, I need to have talks with God about the matters of my life. I need to ask in faith. I need to crucify and starve my doubts to death. Expect to receive. Early in my Christian life, I started to hear really amazing teaching along this line. And it took my thought processes out of what I call que sera, sera mentality. Remember that? Dinah Shore, I think, sang that song. Or was it Doris Day? Oh, sorry, everybody. It took about 20 minutes to find that verse, but you knew exactly who sang that song. Doris Day, que sera, sera. You know, whatever will be, will be is this sort of distorted interpretation of the doctrine of predestination. It's like, hey, you know, it, it's just all pre-fixed. And, well, I don't want to oversimplify it. I mean, that's like about a six-week can of worms right there. But just to say that God in his sovereign plan designed that we be people of prayer and that we obtain promises not just case sarah sarah, well, hey, whatever will be, will be. No, he's given us a responsibility to engage. God does not want us to be spectators. He doesn't even want it to be virtual reality. He wants it to be interactive, co-laborer, joint heirs with Christ, hands-on. He said, lay hands on the sick. Whatever you do will prosper. As long as you don't walk in the path of the sinner, seat of the scoffer, and so forth. But your delight is in the law of the Lord. And in, your, in his law, you meditate day and night. Joshua 1.8 said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It means you, you don't stop saying it. Even if we're so discouraged, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He said in chapter 1 of Joshua, he said, only be strong and very courageous. He said it four times. He's trying to get something over to us. Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every fact be established. In that chapter, it says it more times. Be strong and courageous. Well, Abraham, he grew strong in faith. He had a choice to get weak. He looked at his body and he's thinking, hello, God's called me to be a father of many nations. We could look at areas of our lives and go, God, I mean, you gave me some visions and dreams and ideas or something from your word. And it's like, it's taking a long time. I'm looking at something for 29 years. But there are guys in the Bible that were 40 years out on a thing. So why am I whining? I'm going to keep believing God. Here's a guy, with, well, you've got issues in your body that have lasted you all summer. Here's a guy who's had this deal for 14 years. And I think that's significant that he was here tonight. I didn't know he was going to be here. That's an encouragement to our faith. Something's happening right now at 11 p.m. at his house, he told me. At his house. There was no healing evangelist there. I mean, there was no big three-hour prayer-a-thon or worship service. There was God, and there was the need, and there was believing and receiving and asking in faith. Remaining single-minded is so vital. So vital. 1 Kings 18.21 Elijah is in Mount Carmel which overlooks the modern city of Haifa. Haifa is a port city in Israel, just north of Tel Aviv. They've taken some bombs. 
but a few thousand years before these bombs, Jezebel got involved with Ahab, married the king of Israel, and introduced Baal worship into the worship of Yahweh or Jehovah. So there was something called syncretism. And it was this weird amalgamation that was not pleasing to God. It was a hybrid false religion. Which, by the way, the Bible says that we're to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. One of our big battles along these lines is stand close to God and not having an affection for the world deal. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So we've got a tension here because we're in the world. We've got to interact with the people. We've got to engage with culture and yet not let the world choke us and squeeze us into its own mold. It was happening in this time and these guys were compromising like crazy. And Elijah stands up on the mountain and he basically said in the context of the story, Elijah came near because the people were compromising between Baal and God. And he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal Follow him. That's in 1 Kings 18, 21. He said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? One translation said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. See, on that story of Mount Carmel, Elijah called fire down from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice and there was a purging that took place where Baal worship got pushed back and it brought restoration to the people of God. And sometimes, I mean, you can look at that, that great moment in history and the geography of Israel, and you could say the geography of my mind and the circumstances of my life, I pray the fire of God will burn out and consume all the duplicity, all the double-mindedness, and I get my eyes back on the Lord. I get my heart geared back into a confident expectation. I'm going to walk in, stay in, and live in faith. I've stepped out of faith. And I'm telling you, I've experienced the incredible misery of being a double-minded man. I didn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. It became a very agitating experience. But when you step over into, okay, I'm going to crucify my doubts. And I'm going to feed my faith on the promises of God, and I'm going to get a hold of this, I'm going to spend some time in the book, I'm going to spend some time with my faithful Heavenly Father, I'm going to surround myself and I'm going to listen to good testimonies. There is a God who wants to pour out His Spirit on people and lead us by His Spirit. It's not just, I pray for a breakthrough financially, or I pray for my sore foot, or uh, those all are very important, but it's if anyone lacks wisdom, the anything category as expansive as Abraham being the father of many nations, David taking his kingship, Solomon taking an inherited responsibility, the woman receiving healing for a 12-year hemorrhage, this man receiving healing in his back after a 14-year injury. You may be being in church all your life and never really having a salvation experience, never truly repenting, never truly laying your life down for Jesus. Maybe never being filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're from a traditional environment and you want to understand the power of God. Maybe you've been taught, hey, that's not for today or whatever. But listen, it's biblical. That God wants to pour out His Spirit on you and fill you with His power. It's not just some sort of emotionalism, some sort of Pentecostal charismatic hoedown where you run around the block and go, wow, we've had church. No, it's that you will be a witness. You'll pray in faith and effectiveness and make a difference in the world. 
So I want to just bow our heads right now. God, right now, we pray that your light and your life would come in and burn unbelief and doubt out of our hearts and our minds. God, forgive me for being a, vacillating in any area. Forgive me for double-mindedness. I pray, God, you would create a climate of single-mindedness in our homes, in our thought processes, in our church life, on our staff, with all the people here. I pray a single-minded, obedient, heartfelt faith orientation would dominate this church. I pray, God, we'd start getting back to our first love of devotion to Jesus. I pray we get into a real commitment to repent of major and minor things and not let little things come in, little leaven, little foxes come in, and a little uh, idleness, a little doubt. We come against these things, God, and we, in our hearts we humble ourselves before you. And God, we commit to change. We receive your mercy. We don't want to just play games with this thing. We want to be sincere. If there are life adjustments that need to take place, if there are things to be gotten rid of, if there are decisions to be made, I pray light would shine, repentance would be granted, people would come to full surrender. God, we would not let deceit or any kind of murmuring or backstabbing or backbiting or anything like that reside in our lives. We pray, God, you help us to be streamlined in these matters. We forgive everybody and we ask you to forgive us all of our, our debts, Lord. We receive your mercy. Now you say, Pastor, I'm here tonight and I, I need to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to know God. I know that I was created not just to be just floating along on some sort of leisure, but that I have a purpose for my life and I want to please God and I want to obey God. If that's you, that's your heart cry, you say, man, I know I've got guilt and sin. I know I need a Savior. Then, then I want to pray for you. And I just want to encourage you that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't let anybody tell you it's some protracted, lifelong agony. Jesus already had agony on the cross and died for your sins. That whoever would believe on him and trust in him and rely on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God loved you so much that he gave Jesus. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to save. But see, until you receive him, you won't receive power to become the children of God. It'll just be a promise untapped. And I'm calling you to repentance to tap into the promise. So with no one moving around, you say, I'm one of those people. I know in my heart I need to get right with God tonight. I know I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to receive Jesus Christ. I want to turn from my sin. I want to renounce my worldly ways. And I want to follow God's will. I want to encourage you to really humble your heart right now. This is a heart thing. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's between you and God right now. And I just have you just stay right where you're seated. But I want to lead you in a prayer of surrender. Where you say, God, it's not about me. I'm stepping off the throne of my life. I want Jesus to take over. All right? And you people that have been away from God and backslidden, this is your time to humble yourself and repent. Listen, I, I'm guaranteeing you the Lord is going to show you some things you need to stop doing. He's going to show you some things that aren't pleasing to him and aren't beneficial to you. It's called sin in the Bible. And he wants you to repent of it, which is another biblical term, which means to turn away from it and change. And his power is available today to help you to change. But you got to say, God, I turn from that right now. I know it's wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. And he will forgive you. Don't be shallow about it. Mean it. 
But we're going to pray this prayer together. And in fact, all of us, we're going to crucify double-mindedness and we're going to step up and we're going to believe and receive some things from God. How many of you, there are some things you trusted God for and you want to keep holding out until they come to pass? Yeah. Me too. I, and I tell you, the temptation just to finally just back off, it's not pleasing to God. His soul has no pleasure with those who shrink back. He's got us on a journey and he wants us to press forward. So in fact, let's just pray our prayer right now. Father, I thank you for doing a work in each one of our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you and we praise you. And I ask that you move mightily in, in and through these people. Just let's all pray this together, especially those of you that raise your hands. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of dedication and resolve with God. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe in the claims of the scriptures. The evidence is overwhelming that there is a God. And I believe in Jesus Christ from history, from heaven, resurrected from the dead, and alive right now. And not only do I acknowledge this, but I trust you, God, that you care about me personally. I know I've sinned and fallen short of your plans. But I want your will to be done that you would be glorified. So I humble myself and I repent of all this evil. And I ask you to shine light and do a work in me. Don't let me get away with stuff. Help me to be genuine, sincere, following through to the nth degree to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ honoring you with my heart, following you all the days of my life. I commit my heart to walk with you, Lord Jesus. Be my Lord and Savior. I thank you that you hear and you answer prayer. I ask, I believe and receive that my joy might be full. And I trust you, God. Thank you, Lord, for burning up my unbelief causing me to grow strong in faith that it might give great maximized glory to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to be single-minded. We're going to trust God.